we have seen, we have been doing in the past few Sundays, we are in a sermon series, which is about the Apostles' Creed. And again, you know, the, the Apostles' Creed, some of you may know it from different contexts or from different places, wherever you grew up at or you read it at some, somewhere. Um, but I want you to think about the, the creed. It's a condensed statement of biblical truth. And Pastor Scott has mentioned this before. So let's just think about, you know, when you, when you go on a trip, we take a suitcase. We pack everything we need, and it's a well-packed thing, you know, especially nowadays if it, airlines are so expensive. We try to cram as much as we can in, in a suitcase. When we get to the place, we open it up because we need stuff that is in it, and we start unpacking things, right? And we use what we have and so on. Once the trip is over, we come back. Are we still just going to use the things in the suitcase? No, we won't. We, we have other clothes as well. We have other things. So that's the whole point of the Apostles' Creed, of, of having a statement, is to have these biblical truths well-packed so we can use them whenever we need to. That doesn't mean that it ends there. The whole point of the suitcase is to have it packed, is to use it, to unpack it. And that's what we have been doing. We're going line by line, unpacking each of the statements, each of the lines of the Apostles' Creed. So let's let let join me join join me in reciting the Apostles' Creed, please, and uh, we'll jump into the first line of Jesus. So, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to Hades. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You know what is the little, can you go back um, on the slide, please? The little asterisk sign on Catholic, that does not mean the Roman Catholic Church. Pastor Scott explained this last week, but just as a reminder, Catholic is the word for the universal church. All includes all the followers of Jesus. We are brothers and sisters with those worshiping in other places of the world. And that is the Catholic, lower scene, Catholic Church. So, have you noticed, I don't know if you noticed this part, but the first part of the Apostles' Creed is very short about God and the maker of heaven and earth. Then we have a big chunk with about Jesus. And then we have about the Holy Spirit. Not because one is more important than the other, but it's because... There was emphasis on what Jesus did because that he was in question. There was no question who that there was a God that was fine, but a God who became human that was a little crazy to think about back then as it is today. So that's why you see that big paragraph more about Jesus. And we're going to be focusing today on the first line Jesus Christ. His Son, our Lord. Again, this is a very well-packed suitcase. These three terms and the ones that are underlined is the ones that we're going to be unpacking 
uh, today, we're going to be focusing more on Christ because the other two, Son and Lord, kind of, they kind of stem out from Christ. If you understand what Christ is, the other ones are going to be easier to do so. And again, as I mentioned before, we have communion, which we're going to remember His work, the work of Jesus. So I'll try to be as concise and succinct as possible, but touching on the essentials. Now, nine out of people believe that Jesus was historical. And there's, you know, it's broken down in millennial, Gen Xers, boomers, elders. And you see how kind of diminishes a little bit, right? I don't know about Gen Zs. We, we, I, I was not able to find that, or it's too recent to have that, that information yet. But nine out of ten, pretty much, of Americans believe that Jesus was a historical person, that he existed. That is not questioned as much as it was before. Because there's, history proves it. History shows about it. There's many historical things that change after Jesus' resurrection that could have not changed if it would have not happened. However, only half, less than half, they debate whether Jesus was God or whether he was divine. We have 42% that he was, he was God living among humans. Well, 31 says uh, he was called to fulfill God's purposes. Nine says, like, uh, well, you know, he, he was just a really good guy. And the other one's like, ah, great man, great teacher, not really divine. So it is hard to conceive this, to, to deal with these ideas and, and to understand how Jesus was God and how God was God. And then he was God in Jesus and then also God in the Spirit. And that's something we're going to slow, um, briefly touch when we, um, when we mention a little bit about the Trinity. But how, how, how is this? How can this happen? Why, why, why are we saying that Jesus is Lord, He is Christ, and His Son? The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he opens by saying... Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in his holy scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was descendant of David according to the flesh, and was appointed to, the, to be the powerful son of God, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles. You see here, Paul he is using those three terms. He's bringing Jesus, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, together. And again, each of them, each of them means something, and they're relevant to what Jesus did here on earth. So, we're going to begin with the word Christ. We're going to start unpacking this and how Paul is using it. But first, let me pause and let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful that you have given us, you have revealed yourself to us and shown us who you are through Jesus. We can see who you are because Jesus has revealed you, Lord. And, and it is in the scriptures that we can dig into it more and learn more about you and be challenged by who you are and who you are calling us to be. So give us, give us peace Give us open hearts. Give us open minds. 
as we uh, unpack what it means that you are, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is your son, and he is our Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So let us begin. Again, we're going to start with the word Christ, and that's the one that is going to unravel the other ones. It's going to, the other ones are going to be easier to um, talk about it, to explain what, what does it mean. So when Paul mentioned, you know, in verse 2, he says, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He's not only cueing you or cueing us just to go to the, to the Bible and try to find some proof text here and there that shows that Jesus is who he really is. He's alluding and referring to the whole story of the Bible. There is something that is happening from the beginning toward the point Jesus come and we need to know what that is. So Jesus is Christ. What Paul is, is, going, is trying to say, and what the story of the Bible is trying to say. So let us begin by defining the word. So Christ and Messiah, those two words mean the same. They're titles. They mean the anointed one. Now, why do we have a difference? Well, the word Christ is a Greek word just spelled with English letters. The Greek word is Christos. And we just, in English, we just say Christ. Now, Messiah is the Hebrew word. In Hebrew, it's Mashiach. But what, so it's, it's the same thing. Christ and Messiah, they're the same, and I'm going to use them interchangeably from now on. But just for us to know, both words mean the anointed one. And even, you know, you can find this in Scripture. John, John says when uh, Andrew tells Peter, hey, we have found the Messiah. And then the writer says, well, Messiah means Christ. He even gives us a translation in the Bible. So this is something to just have an idea now. If Messiah and Christ mean the same, they, they mean the anointed one, then the logical question now is like, well, what is anointed? Well, like, what is that? What does it mean to anoint? We don't have that practice of anointing people. Kind of sounds like a little bit like the one who's chosen, but that, that's, uh, that brings other sets of ideas that they were not present in the time of Jesus. So what, what does this mean to be anointed? What, what does it imply? So in ancient Israel, there was the practice of pouring oil on someone's head. And these someones were individuals that were marked for a special or specific task, sacred special task. There were three people. If you go through the story of the Bible, we see three people, three kinds of people that were anointed. Priests, kings, and prophets. Now, the priests, they were the ones who mediate between God and the people. Kings, they represent the rule and wisdom of God to the people. And we have the prophets who are the ones who proclaim the word and the will of God. Bear with me. I know this is very meaty. We'll get to the, we'll get to the point. But we need to know these things. Otherwise, we'd have no idea what this word Christ and, and Son and Lord, they all mean. Three people were anointed. Priests, prophets, kings. 
Now, and as I mentioned before, these things, these terms make sense once they are in the biblical story. At the beginning of the Bible, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. He created the humans. At the beginning, the humans were the anointed ones. So the humans were the ones who mediate between God and creation. They were the ones who rule over creation. They were kings. And they were supposed to proclaim God's will. They are prophets. How did that go in the biblical story? Not too well. Because then a couple pages later, the humans are like, you know what? We're going to trust this guy named the serpent, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call it. And we're going to do things a different way than the Lord. So they're no longer following God's will. They're doing whatever they want. They're ruling however they want. And they're not mediating at all. So the human calling is thrown away. It spirals down and things become chaos. If you read the first chapters of Genesis 1 through 11, things just spiral down and becomes chaotic. Now, does this mean that God's going to destroy the world? He kind of did with the flood. But not out of anger, but out of sorrow. There was so much violence. There was so much evil that he's like, okay, out of the humans that are present, there's one that is doing things right. We're going to continue with that one. And that's what happens. So what's the solution to humanity's evil and, and, and badness and everything that they do just spirals down into chaos and death? Well, in Genesis 12, the Lord calls Abraham. And he tells him, well, from you, I am going to bring up a family. And this family is going to bless all the nations of the world. That's what Israel calls supposed to be. So Israel embodies humanity's calling. So Israel is now the mediators between God and the nations. They're the priests. They live and they should live and rule wisely through the covenant that were given. And they're supposed to be light to the nations, proclaim God to the nations. They're supposed to do this. So you see, there's a calling of doing what the Lord has called you to do. Humanity failed. Israel was called to do that. And guess what happened to Israel? Well, they failed as well. The rest of the story of the Old Testament is how some of them kind of get it right. Some of them don't get it right. And, and the question now is, how is the Lord going to solve this problem? How is the Lord going to keep his promises true? Well, he doesn't give up on humanity. He doesn't give up on Israel. And what he does is that through the prophets, he says, one will come that will fulfill these offices, these roles. It's going to be a descendant from Abraham, and it's going to come from the line of David. So this person will do what... Israel couldn't do and what humanity couldn't do. He's going to do both at the same time. The prophets talk about this, Isaiah 49, 5 through 6. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob, Israel, back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength, he says. It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make your life for the nations to be my salvation 
to the ends of the earth. The, call of, the, the calling of Israel is going to be fulfilled by this one person that at this point in the story we have no idea who that is. But the Israelites are waiting for it. They know it's coming because the prophets keep talking about it. That's one thing. The Israel's calling. What about humanity's calling? Because the problem is twofold. Is we have this humanity sinking in this ship and because of the rescue boat is sinking as well. They have the same problem. So it's that the, who's going to be that one person who's going to rescue both? Daniel seven thirteen through 14 says, Well, I was watching in the night visions, and then suddenly one like a son of man, that's another way of saying a human, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. We're waiting for this person. And you know, and in this season, the anticipation that we know that in this side of history, we know that, that we're celebrating Jesus' birth. We're waiting for someone who come and fulfill this, to make it happen, to fulfill God's promises both for humanity and for Israel, because Israel is supposed to be the means through whom God going to carry over His will and save everyone. How do we do these two things? So, Jesus is the one who does this, and that's going back to our line. Jesus, the Christ, Son, and Lord. So, Jesus is the one who fulfills this. He is the mediator between humans and God. He is the wise ruler. He is the king. And he is the proclaimer of God's word and will. And think about this. Going back to the other side, right? If we go on the Old Testament, let's see how the New Testament writers talk about this. And they see in retrospect, who is Jesus? 1 Timothy 2.5 There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man, Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One who is, who did what Israel and humanity couldn't do. He is the One who mediates. Matthew two eight sixteen. Jesus came near and said to them, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth." And He is a prophet, because He is the One who came down from heaven not to do His own will, but to do. The will of the one who sent him. And not to speak his own words, but to speak the words of the one who sent me, who is the Father. So the things that I speak, says the last line there. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Let's pause here for a bit. Let's, 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 take, a, let's take a breath. And I know it's meaty. We need to understand that again, what I mentioned at the beginning, this is a suitcase. We're unpacking these terms. And this happens all the time. When we're familiar with things, you know, let the force be with you. It's an unpacked phrase, and you guys all know what it means if you are in the, in the good side. You know, and it happens, you know, and, and then there's other things, other things in our culture. I have a dream, and I have given the example before when I preached. We all know what that means. It's a, phrases that are packed with meaning that we know because we are, we live 
in this culture. That's part of who we are. You know, we can get even smaller. If I said, oh yeah, that reverence rose that I have yesterday was a little too dark for me. <laughs> you get it. I don't need to say more. These words, Christ, Lord, and Son, are packed with meaning. We need to unravel them and see what they mean. So, we're almost done with the Messiah. I think, I think we're actually done. We're just going to... This is the last thing we're mentioning about this. But once you understand this, the other ones come into place a little easier. Or less difficult. Um, so, Christ, which is the same as Messiah... Is Jesus is this person. Why? Because he is the faithful Israelite through whom God rescues Israel and all humanity. That is the calling. The Messiah is the person who brings God's promises to fruition. Who makes it happen. Remember a line, I believe in God. Oh, sorry, I believe in Jesus Christ. We're done with Christ. We're done with the Messiah. Let's move on to Son. Now, the term son, we, we think of it as in, you know, offspring, right? Like, I have two sons now, and we're getting more sleep, thankfully. Um, but we have two sons, right? And we think like someone who, like, we, we conceive. Well, it's a little bit different, because it's not about how the son came to be, but it is about the relation that the Son has with the Father. Think about these passages. John 1, 18. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God, and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. If you see my Son, he won't reveal me. We're talking about different things. It's different. It's about the relationship they have between each other. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And this is where we start getting into, okay, so we have God the Father, and we have Jesus the Son. And if I add them one plus one, doesn't equal two, it equals one. How is this? We won't, I won't even try to explain how the Trinity, and people have done it through thousands of years. Uh, I can, I'm going to show you a video that explains what is it that we do not understand and how limited we are in understanding. Here's a two-dimensional plane. And then here's an object with three dimensions that's going to pass through the 2D plane. Okay, right. From this perspective, the 3D object's above and below the plane. So now it makes sense. But imagine you were a 2D person stuck on the 2D plane. What would you see? I don't know. What would I see? Well, it would look like this. Oh, yeah, okay. From this perspective, it looks impossible. It's one object, and then two objects, and then three. But in reality, they're all one, just not in a way you're capable of understanding. I hope we better understand what we don't understand. It's, we are limited. We are finite. Our, the 3D dimensions of space that cannot allow us to understand a transcendent being. A being who's not limited by space, who's not limited by time. Pastor Scott talked about this last week. He's transcendent. And, and the beauty of this is that this transcendent being made himself personal through the person of Jesus. 
He's not a different one. He's the same one. And how? We are not, we don't have the mental capacity to understand that. It's, it's out of our reach. Hope you're not more confused than you were before. I don't know. Anyway. What the, and the biblical authors, they, they were also having a hard time explaining this. They, they, they didn't have the language. They, didn't, they were struggling the same way in which we're struggling. So the way in which they did it is, again, they went back into Scripture and they started seeing different things. Because Jesus, if Jesus started saying, well, I and the Father are one, and no one has seen the Father, but I am revealing the Father, then it, it, Jesus is the doing, Jesus reveals God in what he was doing, what he was accomplishing on earth. So the biblical authors went back. And in Genesis 1, and one, we have that the Lord creates everything. How does he create it? He says, let there be light. And there was light. He spoke and it happened. And he mentioned other let there be's. And it was so. Let there be separation between this and that, and let it be so. Let the earth bring um, vegetation, and it was so. He talked, and it happened. Later on in Psalms 33, the psalmist says, Well, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and things came to be. I don't think we can speak and things happen. He commanded and he came into existence. So the Lord, we see this. The Lord says something. He commands something and things just sprout out of nothing. Things are divided. Things are put together. Things are created. Now what, what, what is that? That's like an energy. That's power. Whatever that is, it's an agency. It's the means through, who, through, whom, God create, through whom God creates everything. John comes and, and sees this, 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 he puts it together, and he starts saying, well, you know, in the beginning was the Word, as we saw, God spoke in, with His words, and things were created. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How do you separate that? How do you separate my voice, the Lord's voice, that His power to create from Himself? It's not something we can do. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that was being created. So John is using the language of the Old Testament in Genesis and Psalms. And saying, we know that word. The psalm was saying that the God created everything through the word. And he continues down in the poem and says, well, that is Jesus. The, Jesus, the word became flesh. Later on, Paul says... Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and, in, and the invisible. Where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. Jesus is that. Jesus is the means through through verse one to three. Hebrews chapter one verses two and three. In these last days, he's spoken us by his son. God has appointed him, heir of all things, and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The son is the agency. Again, and I'm repeating this because that's, that's what son 
means. It does not mean that he was created. It does not mean that he's his offspring, that he didn't exist before. It means that when God does something, it's the son who accomplishes it. It's the son that carries it out. He makes things happen. The question now is, okay, let's, let's not forget about the word Christ and Messiah. We, we talk about that, right? He is the one who fulfills the promises, the one who will do this. And then we have Son. The Son is the one through whom which things are done. Now, the world was created through that. What is God doing through Jesus? What's the whole point of Him coming? He is establishing a kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come near. He's a, he's, he cannot be a king without a kingdom. He is a king. He's the one who rules over everything. Question is, how is he going to do it? How do kings rule? How do em- emperors come into power? How do they do this? Do they do it peacefully? Do they do it through love, peace, and, and, and submission and humility? Wouldn't that be nice? We don't need to go to, you know, we look back in history. Just today, it's blackmailing and, and coercion and abuse of power and so on. And we're not going to go into that. But that's not how kings do things. The fact that we're putting Messiah, the one who fulfills the promises, and son together, is that the promises are accomplished through the means of the son. How will he do this? And this is where we jump into our word, Lord. Because the way in which God becomes king is not through violence or coercion or abuse of power, but through self-sacrificial love. You tell me how that really was going to happen during the Roman Roman times, or kings, or, or whatever, or you pick your political situation. It doesn't work that way. So what does this word Lord mean? If Jesus is Messiah... The, ones, the, the one who accomplishes God's promises, the one who fulfills them. And Son is the agency, the one through whom things happen. How is it going to happen? And there couldn't be a better way to say this than going to Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Paul is talking to these people and telling them, hey, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or to be abused. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. You see how his power, he could do more, he didn't. A king becomes a servant. That that wouldn't happen today. Taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even to death on a cross. So you see how we start here and we go all the way down. Human, servant, die. When we're in the bottom, what does the Lord do? For this reason, God highly exalted him. And gave him the name that is above every name. 
So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. These three terms are describing who Jesus is. What is he supposed to do? That he's the, he's the means through whom God does things. How is he doing it? Again, once you understand Messiah, that's, that's easier. Because Jesus is the faithful Israelite through whom God rescues Israel and humanity. And he is the means through whom God does this. And the way he does it, again, it is not through violence and power and, and, and the way in which we see people. And we don't have to go to the, you know, globally and think about nations. Just ourselves. Sometimes we, we, we twist and, and we scheme and, and we plan things according to do things that we want. And we do all these kind of things. Whereas Jesus, in order for him to become king, he died on the cross. The cross is Jesus' throne. That's his exaltation. That is what Philippians is telling us. His crown is not the one of gold, but the one of thorns. So it's this paradoxical, kind of like upside down thing. To say that I believe in Jesus Christ, is to say that I believe that through him the promises are fulfilled. That he's the son is that he is the one that God, through whom God accomplishes things. And to say that he's Lord is that his means of being Lord is not about lording over. Like in Mark 10.45, he says, hey, the son of man came here to serve, not to be served. Those are the means. And question now is, we have all these things, you know, and we talked about all these and probably our heads are exploding. And you probably remember two things. I would remember like one. Um, what does this all mean? What does it mean in me, in my life, that I is the Messiah, is the Christ, that He is our Son? Sorry, that He is the Son, and that He is our Lord. What does it mean? So, let me finish here with a story and something personal that I that I experienced um, this this summer. Um, I'm a professional. I can do this. Oh, well, you got ahead. So that's my dad, and that's my little one. And they're happy, aren't they? They look very happy. So, you know, my dad, I love my dad. Let me start there. I love, I love him. Like, you, like, like I think I should love my dad, right? With God-loving love. Um, but, the, you know, as parents, and, and I'm finding that out, and, and many of you, our parents or have had parents, the parents parent from where they how they were parented. So they, they 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 do things from what they learn from their parents. That's what that's the set of toolbox they are given. You can add or subtract toolbo- uh, tools from that toolbox. Things may be better, things may become worse. It all depends on what we want to do. So my dad had a limited set of toolboxes, and he wasn't present as I grew up. Like I don't, I don't have a picture of like that me and my dad. There's no no picture of that. So he was absent, and and I grew up pretty much without 
a father. He was still talking. He was still somehow present, right? I mean, he mean I'm, he's not a horrible person. I love him to death, and he's great. But again, we, we are limited in how we do things, okay? So many years passed. This was like, if I don't have a picture, like, no, it's not even, he's like one and a half there. Um, through childhood and, and, and teenage years and adulthood, he was, he was not very present. Um, when I met Christy, and when I was about to get married in 2017, I was 31. So just imagine, like a span of almost 30 years. Even though we kind of have some kind of relationship, there, there was not a deep relationship, but just a superficial relationship. Um, the kind of mentor, pastor that I had in Spain, he told me that when you, you know, that verse in Genesis that um, when you go to, when you are going to get married, you leave father and mother, right? And you come to your wife and, and become one flesh. That means that the, ideally you're supposed to step into marriage with a clean slate. That is all the, if it was possible, the trauma and all the things that have shaped you in, in bad ways, you leave those behind and you step into this sacred space clean. That's easy to understand that that can, can happen. So one of the things that I had to do is he encouraged me to write a letter to him, to, to, to mend that, that relationship, to try to see how we can... In Spain, and even before that, we barely talked, only when we, either him or me needed something. And, and things, things were barely a relationship. So I wrote him a letter. And um, after that, you know, we started talking more. And things kind of, we, we kind of piece and fix things together. But what am I bringing this? Because when it comes to the nitty-gritty things, to the, when we're trying to do things, the fact that I believe that God, that Jesus is Christ, that I trust him enough that he can do things that I'm not able to do, that he is the one, it is through him in my trust, in my faith, in Jesus, that he calls me, that whether he, whether my dad would have accepted the letter or not, calls me to try to mend things, to try to fix things. Because that's his calling. That's my calling as a follower of Jesus, is to be in peace with those around me, especially with family. The fact that he is son is that the means through whom I'm going to accomplish it are not my means. I'm not by keep going through life, drifting away without trying to fix this relationship. That's not a way to do things. It's to step into places in which I'm going to be vulnerable. Step into places in which I'm, I'm going to be open up for fire. Because he could have said no. And we could have not talked or mend that relationship. I, I didn't know. I just took that leap of faith. The fact that he's Lord, that I believe that Jesus is Lord, is that the, again, the means through whom I'm going to do this, it is not through raising my voice higher and, make, and telling him how much I missed him. And how much he was not present. But regardless of all that, to say that, hey, I love you, regardless of all this. And from now on, Let's change this. If we believe, if I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, that He is Lord, 
He is the one through whom these kind of things get done. Because of that, we're able to go to Honduras and, man, I tell you, it makes me want to cry. That was such a human moment and, and so good for me to see that, and for him as well. To believe that Jesus is the Christ and he's the Son and he's the Lord. It is to trust that it is through. It is easier said than done. I don't, I don't take that from anyone. It took me 30 years, but it's never too late. And, you know, as, as we think about this, I think about Jesus being the Messiah, being, being the Son and being the Lord, a special something we should celebrate what communion, we should celebrate Him by, by, by doing this, the, what He commanded us to, to, to do in remembrance of Him. Let us take a moment, guys, and, and think about how much He meant that Jesus is Lord, that He's the Messiah, that He's God, and that He's Lord. Let me pray quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you because it is through your great power, through your, through your grace, dealt with our darkness and pain and, and suffering. Lord. And out of those, that messiness that we have, that we are, that we're still holding to, you can transform into beautiful things that can, can flourish and that can become works of art, Lord. Like a beautiful relationship can be. Like different things that are painful, can be restored and be places in which we now found comfort because you have the power not to force us but to humble yourself in humility, in, in self-sacrificial love so you can bring us to you and then we can imitate that and take that into the different spaces and places that we are. Father, thank you because you have made it happen. In your name we pray.